0: How perfect is it that on the weekend that we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that the title of today's message is Find Freedom. Would you please turn with me to your study outlines there in your program, and as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, about a thousand or more every week. So glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word um, if you're a visitor we're especially glad that you're here on this holiday weekend it's awesome to have you here if you're visiting with us and and I would love to meet you if you got an extra minute or two after the service is over I'll be right in the middle of the lobby next to what's called the connect Center if you got a chance to come on by and introduce yourself I would really enjoy uh, the chance for us to get better acquainted and then today as Chanel was mentioning uh, in the video announcements uh, right after the 1111 service so right around 12: 30 1230, 1235 uh, right right out on the community terrace. It's supposed to be like 75 degrees today. Gorgeous day. We're going to barbecue out there. And if you're new to our church or if you've never been to a welcome lunch, I would just love to see you there. If you're interested in being baptized in the weeks ahead, if you're interested in connecting with us and membership, if you'd like to just find out what the next step is to be connected with a life group or uh, to find a place to serve, whatever it might be, Uh, what we do is we serve you your meal while you're eating. We're talking, myself and and some of the other pastors here from the church. And uh, then after, as soon as we're done talking and eating, we get you going on your way as soon as possible. You should be home uh, for halftime of the AFC Championship game. All right, so the first half doesn't matter anyway. It's just who's ahead of the end. And so I uh, really hope that we could see you there. It's going to be just a great, great time. Uh, bring your kids, and, and we've got the playground right there. Free lunch, and we try to keep it to about the length of time if you went out to lunch with friends afterwards. So hope to see you there at the welcome lunch. Now, today we're continuing our series called What's Next as we launch into a new decade personally and uh, as a church. And the the first steps that we take in this next decade are some of the most important steps because they kind of set the tone, they set the stage uh, for the whole decade. So what we want to do is we want to take concrete, practical steps at the beginning of this new decade so that we end up in 10 years, if Jesus doesn't come back in the meantime, we end up in 10 years uh, in a different place than when we started. So for four weeks, we're going to ask God uh, each week for these next four weeks Uh, two more weeks after this one, uh, our next step in four different areas. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to say, Lord, what's the next step in making a difference in the world? Uh, Next Sunday, Lord, what's the next step in fulfilling uh, the purpose that you've made me for? Just like in that video so beautifully done on the life of Dr. King. Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about what's the next step in knowing God? And today, we're going to talk about what's that next step in finding freedom? Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, Peter says in Acts chapter 10 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. John writes, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And then Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have Divine power to demolish strongholds. Uh, if you've never done the rooted experience here at Purpose Church, we've had over 1,500 people now go through the rooted experience. If you've never done it, make a beeline. Uh, this will be the best possible way to start a new decade. Right to the rooted table out in the lobby afterwards. And I'm telling you, the rooted experience is worth doing just for the session. One of the ten sessions is on demolishing uh, strongholds. And that was the one I would personally find was the most impactful in my life, was the session on destroying uh, spiritual strongholds. Next verse, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then Paul wrote to the young man that he was mentoring named Timothy, and he said opponents must be gently instructed. Wow, is that perfect for, uh, the weekend we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Talk about somebody who gently instructed peacefully the opponents against him. And we've got to remember that people that criticize Christians or mock Christians or attack Christians, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. Uh, they are victims of the, they are captives of the enemy. They, they are prisoners of war, And so we lovingly and graciously and humbly um, pray with them and answer their questions and and gently share answers to our faith um, to to woo them to the Lord, to win them to the Lord. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses. We pray that those that that oppose us, I mean, our hearts got to break. For somebody who dies and is not prepared to talk to God. That, that is something, when people attack us, we shouldn't be like, well, I hope they get theirs. No. It should be like grieving, like, oh my goodness, I just pray you'll come to your, come to your senses. Uh, we had our whole staff go through training on, for four hours on Tuesday with my friend Tom Mercer, pastor up at the High Desert Church. And on the oikos principle, oikos, Greek word for household, the 8 to 15-year sphere of influence. And and Tom said there's this guy he's been sharing Jesus with um, that is, I, I think it's where, it's at a Starbucks or something where he gets his, his tea, his iced tea every morning. And, um, and the guy asked him one day, this is totally not a follower of Christ, he says, you're a pastor. What does a pastor do anyway? Wait, what does a pastor do? And my friend Tom had the best answer. He says, Here, here's what I do. Here's my, here's my job. He says, I believe that everybody, the moment they croak, the his word, not mine, <laughs> so the moment they croak, the next moment they have a discussion, a talk with God. And my job is to make sure that that talk goes well. Isn't that good? And that's true for each of us that have an oikos. Our job is to make sure first for ourselves that that talk, the moment after we die, we're going to have a a talk with God. And to make sure that it goes well for us, and I'll even share with you in a couple minutes, if you're here and you're not sure that that talk would go well, I'm going to share with you how to make sure that talk goes well. But then to make sure that those 8 to 15 that are your closest friends and people around you, that that talk goes well for them as well. Opponents must be gently instructed that they will come to their senses and escape, and that they will escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, living based on a false belief, uh, it reminds me, it's like a story, the story of Elizabeth Smart. Uh, Kimberly and I watched a documentary on this uh, just a couple of months ago. And and we watched this. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Smart, she was abducted at the age of 14 from her home in Salt Lake City by a man named Brian David Mitchell, who was assisted by his wife, Wanda Barzee. Mitchell held young uh, Elizabeth captive for nine months until she was rescued by authorities on a street in Sandy, Utah, less than 20 miles from her home. As the story kind of began to be revealed, it was clear that she could have escaped several times before she was recognized by neighbors in Sandy who then contacted the police. Elizabeth's abductor would often take her out in public, but he would take her out veiled or disguised. And uh, even took her to the local library once. And during one of these outings, the police actually stopped them. This evil couple and Elizabeth Smart. Actually, the police stopped them and asked them if they had seen a local girl gone missing named Elizabeth Smart. So standing right in front of them, all she had to do was shout, I'm Elizabeth Smart. And yet she didn't do it. Because they had fed her so many lies, they had so brainwashed by her abductors, that she was convinced that if she told the truth, um, she would be harmed and all of her family would be killed as well. They had convinced her of this. And so she stayed silent, even right in front of the, the police. She thought that Mitchell and his wife would hurt not only her, but also her family. So here's the key. Her fear of something that wasn't true kept her from being free. Let me repeat that. Her fear of something that wasn't true kept her from being free. Now, This was a tremendously powerful and strong and resilient young lady. She was eventually freed, and today she's this powerful force in our country to free others as an American child safety activist, and she's a commentator uh, for ABC News. But uh, Chris Hodges um, writes uh, about this, and he applies it to our situation. I I know reading something lengthy is is kind of boring, but hang with me, because this is like super good stuff. This is how the devil operates. He has power in this world, but no authority. So he keeps talking to us until we believe him. We end up accepting his lies as truth, letting them into our thoughts so that they poison our emotions and influence our actions. Satan pretends that he has authority over us, but this is not true. We have been given authority through the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit who dwells in us. But too often, we don't own and exercise that authority and power that we've been given. Instead, we believe a lie and empower the liar. We all experience these strongholds and their impacts on our our lives. They steal our focus and begin to consume our minds. They make us feel controlled by our desires and fears until we believe that we're powerless to change. We start saying things like, I will never be able to stop this. I will always be powerless when it comes to this. Soon this stronghold becomes a part of our identity. We focus only on our weakness, our failure, our struggle, our addiction. We we reduce ourselves to only this as the center of our identity, saying, I am a smoker, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, I'm a cheater, I'm a liar, I'm an adulterer, I will always fail. You know, one of the things I love about... Uh, the landing uh, for high schoolers, y- young adults, and then Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday night. And, and you'll see on the back of your outline, Tuesday night right over here in the H building. Those are just spectacular ministries. And everybody, for everybody that has hurts, habits, and hang-ups, who doesn't include it in that list, you know? And I've loved my times when I've gone there. And they always at the landing um, over in the B building or at Celebrate Recovery over in the H building, on Tuesday nights, they always begin by standing up and saying, they don't say, hi, my name's Glenn, I'm an alcoholic. You stand up and say, hi, I'm Glenn, a follower of Jesus Christ who happens to struggle with alcohol. Because our identity is in Christ. We have struggles, but that's not who we are. Soon this stronghold becomes a part of our identity. We focus only on our weakness, our, our failure, our struggle, our addiction. We reduce ourselves to only this as the center of our identities. Satan loves when we imprison ourselves this way. He wants us to internalize our addictions so that his lies become part of our thinking, preventing us from knowing the truth of our freedom in Christ. Soon his lies are so ingrained that we begin to make excuses for ourselves and justify giving into temptations again and again. This cycle consumes emotional energy. We feel increasingly hopeless. Our lives seem like one big failure, one constant battle without a moment's peace. We become convinced that there's no way out. And that's exactly what the enemy wants, to distract us from our God-given purpose and the power God has given us to live out this purpose. Satan's ultimate goal is to keep us from being effective. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to rob us of the abundant life that Jesus came to bring, and we don't have to stand idly idly by and let him win. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Now, the number one question this morning, uh, and I had you think about it last week for a week, But if you could have freedom in one area of your life, what would it be? If you could have freedom in one area of your life, I'm thinking of what it is for me, and you think of what it is for you, if you could have freedom in one area of your life, what would it be? Now, the first step is forgiveness from sin. The first step is to make sure that conversation with God goes well the moment after you, as my friend Tom would say, the moment after you croak. Uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's as simple as A, B, C. If you'd like to get the fuller version of this, take this home with you. There's a next step card right there in front of you in the book rack. Just feel free to, to take that home with you. But it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit your condition before God. God, I've done wrong things. I've thought wrong things. I've said wrong things. I haven't loved people the way I should love them. I admit that. B, believe that Jesus is the solution to that. And then C, choose to open up your heart, receives Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Choose to follow Christ as your Savior and Lord. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. And on this card, there's a little suggested prayer, but it doesn't have to be that fancy. Just simply do A, B, C. Lord, I admit that I need forgiveness. B, I believe Jesus, through Jesus I can be forgiven. And C, I choose to receive your free gift of forgiveness. That that simple step will make sure that your conversation goes well the moment after you die and you have that conversation with God. But then the second step is healing and freedom from our sins. Uh, James writes, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Uh, In other translations, it says your faults, or it could mean your struggles be open with Christians that you trust, a smaller group of fellow Christians that you trust, confess your struggles, your faults, your sins to each other, then pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's amazing how when you, um, there's a saying in the landing and celebrate recovery, we're only as sick as our secrets. And it's amazing how when I share what I'm actually struggling with, And somebody prays for me. When I speak it out loud, somebody prays for me. It's amazing how that stronghold, I'm not going to say it's going to go overnight away, but it loosens on you. And as you keep doing it, it gets a looser hold and a looser hold so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person, you say, well, Glenn, the people in my small group, I don't know how righteous they are. No, 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 no. In Christ, we are all righteous. When we pray, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. In the righteousness of Jesus, I prayer this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. Now, here's the key thought this morning. It's a quote by Chris Hodges. We go to God for forgiveness, and we go to God's people for healing. Now, of course, it's God that does the healing, but he uses his people to bring healing to each other. You know, we have one of our favorite sayings here at Purpose Church is we want to be a hospital for sinners, and not a museum for saints. And in this hospital, God is the great physician, and he uses us as the patients, as nurses, and physician's assistants, and nurse practitioners to heal each other. We're a hospital for sinners where we pray for each other, where God uses people as tools in his hands to bring healing to each other. Would you look on the back of your outline? Not the entire program, but on the back of your outline, and and my whole goal today is to challenge each one of us. If, if you're watching online or if you're here right now, to my one goal is to challenge each of us to take a concrete, practical step to be a part of either the rooted experience, as I already mentioned it, uh, be part of a life group, or celebrate recovery and the landing on Tuesday nights. Uh, just that—that's my—that's my whole goal this morning. If you are already a part of one of those, you can start checking your phone to see how. Uh, you know, no, not really. I'm just kidding on that. But at any rate, uh, th- that's the goal. That's the goal is to is is to just be connected with one of them. That is the one step that will help you end the decade in a different place than you started the decade. Let's watch this together. Ever feel lost in a sea of faces, with lots of virtual friends and surface relationships, but lacking real connection? At Purpose Church, we believe we are better together. God did not design us to do life alone, but an authentic community. Our life groups are designed just for that. In homes and coffee shops, around meals and games, we develop deep relationships together. We laugh, cry, hope, and pray. We ask questions, take risks, and share our stories. It's giving and receiving, serving and caring, and living for something bigger than ourselves. It's sometimes messy and always imperfect. It's life, and none of us were meant to do it alone. Find a life group that's right for you today. Now, yeah, let's hear that. That is so cool. There's many of those. You've got the Easton's in there, and your girls look so cute in there. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm supposed to keep going here. Here we go. Five things about our life groups or about relationships. Uh, Four things, I'm sorry. Number one, focus on nurturing the relationships that are most important to you. You are the sum total of all the key relationships in your life up until now. Uh, Whatever the important relationships are, think of each of them as a campfire. You've got the campfire of your marriage, you've got the campfire of your closest friendships, you've got the campfire of your relationship with your children, with your grandchildren. And the most important relationships, you've got to put wood on the fire or the fire will go out. And the more wood you put on the fire, the better it'll burn, and the higher it'll burn, and the warmer it will be. So you've got to keep putting wood on the fires of your life that you want to go well and to burn well and to not go out. Number two, choose to restore the broken relationships in your life. You say, oh, Pastor Glenn, it's painful, the thought of restoring that broken relationship. That's going to take effort but here's the thing. The pain of unresolved conflict is always greater than the pain required to resolve it. The pain of unresolved conflict is greater than the pain required to resolve it. Uh, Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, can I take you off of a guilt trip? You say, Glenn, I try and I try, and the person just won't respond. No, no, no. That's, okay, that's not on you. It takes two to have a healthy relationship. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, but you are free now. You're not responsible for somebody else's response. Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then number three, here's the other side of the same coin. Try to restore those relationships. But number three, know when to walk away. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you've got to continue to interact with them. Some relationships in your life are so harmful and toxic that you simply must walk away and maintain a firm boundary. Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about divorcing a spouse on unbiblical grounds, okay? I want to make that super clear. I think there are biblical grounds that the Bible talks about, abandonment and and adultery and uh, physical abuse. I I, I believe that. Um, but, But just to be clear, I'm not talking about that. Sometimes you may choose not to sever a relationship, but you can at least redefine it with a firm boundary. If a relationship hinders your relationship with God, then you need to either redefine it or you need to sever that relationship. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Uh, Ten years ago, I made a decision along with uh, five other pastors of similar size uh, churches, similar churches in in every way. Um, um, We were about the same age, situation in life. Uh, and we were mainly connected through Wheaton College. Uh, we were classmates there together during a certain year or two uh, together. And we made a commitment 10 years ago that once a year for three or four days, once a year we'd meet somewhere in the country uh, to hold each other accountable to be what God had called on us to be. And so tomorrow morning, I'll take an early flight out of LAX and fly to Chicago and spend a few days and fly back on Thursday. Uh, One of the pastors is from Boston, the biggest evangelical church in all of New England. Um, A couple are from Chicago, one's from Sacramento, one's from San Diego, and one's from Pomona and we get together once a year, and it's a very intense time where we go systematically through our lives, and how's your marriage doing? And then we spend a long period of time praying for our marriages. How how's, how are each of your children doing? We spend time praying for that. Then what are the greatest challenges in your church that you're, you're facing? And then we come up with like five common challenges, and then we like spend an hour on each one, and intensive prayer on each one. And then, okay, what's working in your church that we could use in, in our church? And And we share about that, and and what are the issues we're facing as pastors together? And how are we keeping our walk close to the Lord and just so that we can finish well? Because a decade ago, we made a decision. I made a decision that I wanted to be more like those other five guys than I was at the beginning of the decade. Because show me your friends, and, and, I'll, and I'll show you your future. Proverbs 13 says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fool suffers harm. Paul writes, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, can I take just a little bit of a sidebar here? Uh, do you ever wonder sometimes when I quote somebody and you're like, Glenn, do you know what that person is like? You know, Have you ever Wikipedia or something, somebody that I've quoted from? Because I don't quote from all Christians. I believe there's wisdom uh, to be found for non-Christ followers as well as Christ followers. Well, I just want you to know I'm in good company because Paul does the exact same thing here. He's actually quoting the pagan Greek poet Menander. And so Paul is p- quoting a pagan here, the saying, bad company corrupts good good character. And so uh, that'll just explain why sometimes you're like, boy, Glenn, um, have you seen the entire movie that you use the, the clip from, you know? And, and when it's not a good one, I'll give you a clear play alert uh, so that you don't just take it home and watch it with the kids and say, look what Pastor Glenn recommended to us. All right, so. Number four, risk being real. I want to camp on this verse for a moment. Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. So one of the things um, that, that we want to do is we want to finish well. We want to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. This is why we're in life groups. To finish well, to hold unswervingly to our hope, and to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Wow. You have this image of the early church as, oh man, they were all in. And they just worshipped all the time. And shared their faith all the time. And served all the time. No. They were just like us. Some of them had gotten in the habit of not being in the habit of meeting together together. On a regular basis, because they had the the, the Roman soccer league for their kids, and they had the, uh, the Corinthian dance uh, reviews that they had to go to, and they had to travel every few weekends to Ephesus to, to catch the tournament, and, and, and they had relatives come over, and boy, all the family came over, and so we couldn't, you know, go to church that day because the family all dropped in, and, and so they had, they had all those things that we struggle with as well, and even in the early church, he says not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, okay, uh, because there's there's nothing like face-to-face connection with each other. It says, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day that is the day of Jesus' second coming approaching. Now, um, I I love what technology can do to help us in our Christian walk. I love the fact that. Um, online, you know, if Kimberly and I are out of town, we can catch our service online and feel connected here. I, I love that. It's also a good way for me to check up on what's going on. I've told you the story, haven't I, about how we were in Lima, Peru, and we're watching the worship service from our hotel in Lima, Peru. And Pastor Brian, at that time, was introducing the oh no, he forgot to introduce the offering. He charged right in his sermon, forgot the offering, and here I am in Lima, Peru, going the offering, Brian, the offering. And at that moment, he says, oh, I forgot the offering. I sure hope Glenn's not watching. As he said, you know, so, so I caught him on that. But I love that we can stay connected. This is a beautiful thing. Praise God for it. And they're Like, you know, one to 2,000 people kind of, we're connected together. This is great. Um, I love that I can listen to sermons in, in, in my car while driving or listen to worship music. But technology should be a supplement for meeting together. Or a last resort if you can't meet together, but never a substitute for face-to-face Christian fellowship. There's there's something that happens when we're all together here that doesn't happen when we're by ourselves. There's something that'll happen in your life group that doesn't happen when you're by yourself. Got a communication card a few weeks ago where the guy said, it had been a couple of months since I'd been to church. Well, I was in a grumpy mood walking in here thinking about people who have wronged me and as soon as I walked through those doors, I felt better. A weight had been lifted and I was in God's place. Amen. Glad I came to church. Why is it so hard to get your family here? How many of you have a harder time getting your kids here on Sunday morning than you do the rest of the week? Satan doesn't like what we're doing here. He wants us to have regular worship together because there's something happens here doesn't happen elsewhere. He wants us to get face to face on teams, as, as, as part of our groups, because there's something that happens there. The other is a great supplement, but it should not be a substitute. There's an African proverb if you wanna go quickly, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. And, and as Christ followers, we wanna go far, don't we? We wanna finish well, and the only well we, way we do that is to go together. Uh, we're to commit to a local church. Ephesians 2.19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Uh, in Acts, it says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Within the church, we're, still, we're supposed to have this experience that we're having right now, but then we're also supposed to have a life group or commit to a team. Uh, Ephesians, Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other back up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is is not quickly broken. And then on that team, we are to have fearless honesty. Pastor Eric Um, took our staff uh, a year ago through a process to come up with 10 uh, staff values for anybody that that is in leadership or that works here at at Purpose Church. Uh, We will commit to lovingly and truthfully sharing our hearts, both the joys and the frustrations, knowing that being honest leads to greater understanding and clarity. Likewise, we commit to listening with grace and understanding when hard conversations present themselves, knowing that we serve a God who actively listens to us. We will choose personal integrity over cutting corners, being honest with God, ourselves, and others. In order to see everyone everywhere following Jesus, we must be truthful and willing to talk through what is getting in the way of that dream becoming a reality. 2 Corinthians 1 says, We can say with confidence and a clear conscience, that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings. Uh, David writes in Psalm 51, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom uh, even there. Uh, There's this thing called the Jahari window. And the Jahari window is the first pane in the window it reflects the knowledge that we all know. These are things that are known to ourselves, and um, that are known to others. This is what we all know. It's called uh, the forum or the open area. The second pain is the facade. What I know, but you don't know about me. Okay. What I know about myself, but you don't know about me. And remember, you will always be as sick as your secrets. And to the degree that I am willing to find some people in my life, not everybody, but a few trusted people to share my real self with, and they pray for me, and we pray together, that's when I begin to get the power to loosen the strongholds and to get greater freedom in a particular area. Then there's the third pain, what others know uh, about us, but we don't know about ourselves. This is called our blind spots. We have a saying here at Purpose Church, your blind spots will rule you. Um, for example, there are things that all of you know about me that I don't know about myself. For example, I honestly think I get every sermon done on time. I think that. I mean, I'm still interested in what I'm talking about. you know? I, I just going you on. Know, I was like, hey, I'm still interested in this. Everybody much me. I told you the story about my coach in high school, and I, I played a year of basketball, barely made the team and, and as a freshman. And I scored two points in 18 games. You do the math on, on what that per-game scoring average is. Okay, two points in, in 18 games. But that didn't deter me. I was going to play basketball the next year, going to go out for the team. And I still can see the spot in front of the Coke machine in the lobby outside the gymnasium. My track coach comes up to me. He says, hey, Glenn, I hear you're going out for basketball. Yeah, yeah, I'm going out for basketball. Please don't. <laughs> he says, you stink at basketball. Please use the fall and the winter to build up your mileage in preparation for spring track. And, and, you know, it didn't hurt my feelings because I knew he was out for my best interest. And, and, and he revealed something to my, me that I didn't know about myself. I still thought I had an NBA career in me somewhere, you know. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. That's the problem. But here's the solution, Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. When you have somebody that really cares about you, they, see, I loved my track coach because he told me, Glenn, you're not good in this area, but go to this area. And, and they said that. They said, go to beautician school. I, I bet you're great there. You're just not going to make it as a singer. And then the fourth pain is what is unknown, what neither we nor other people know, only God knows. And this is the exciting thing. It's, it's the part that we don't know, that only God knows, but together we're going to discover it. We're going to go through life together because each of us have a piece of it, and we're going to put the puzzle together and figure out together as a church family what is unknown to us but is known to God, and we're going to figure it out together and march into the next decade discovering God's will. Paul writes to the Ephesians. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We do it together. That's how we get freedom is together. We do it when we stand together. We are better together. Together we can figure out God's plan, and we can be healthy and growing and full of love. Anybody want to say amen to that? Amen. Now, what we're going to do is, is is watch a quick video clip as the praise team comes up, and then that is going to launch us into a closing song, Lord, I need you. And I want us to all make this our prayer. Lord, in this area where I need freedom, I need you. But it also would be a powerful thing. I'm going to have some of the Uh, pastors and other leaders of the church here at the front, and I'll be at the front, and I would count it a privilege, not that you share, you know, you may not feel open to sharing something too deep in this context, but to share something, or just in general, you don't have to say anything, God knows, and just say, Pastor Glenn, I would just like to pray, have somebody pray for me in this area that I know about and that God knows about, I would just count it a privilege to pray with you if that would be an encouragement to you. But whether you take that step or whether you just use that as a prayer, Lord, I need you. Let's pray that God will give us, embark us on a path where at the end of the decade, we will have more freedom in that area than we had at the beginning of the decade. Anybody want to say amen to that? Sound good?